Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, got one you guys have probably been waiting for, the Q&A we put up on um, the Hunt and Beast Forum a couple weeks ago. We finally got around to recording that. It's going to be two parts and this is going to be part one. Um, kind of split it up into hours for you guys. Um, hope you enjoy it. Hope you get a lot out of it. We'll probably do another one of these in the future at some point in time. Uh, with that being said, got to thank my sponsors. Um, the first one being Stealth Outdoors. They're uh, running all kinds of good specials right now. Um, I think they got some deals on rolls of stealth strips. So get on their website, check them out, and buy you some stealth strips for all your gear. I also got to tell you something about what Exodus has going on right now. Um, you guys know I, I love the Exodus render. I had one out on a uh, brassica plot all year last year, pretty much from August until January when I went and grabbed it off the food plot. Had no issues with it. Uh, battery life was still full when I when I picked it up. And um, yeah, great experience with it. Um, on top of that, you know, I love supporting Exodus because they're good guys. Um, they've become friends of mine and they also go above and beyond for their customers. As you guys know, they have a great, um, YouTube channel with all kinds of good deer hunting information. They also have, um, you know, stuff on that YouTube channel uh, about trail cam specifics. Um, that's really helpful for the consumer. And then on top of that, they got all their podcasts that they, um, they put out and they just seem like they go above and beyond compared to most trail cam companies. So with that being said, they got something pretty interesting coming up in March here um, at Exodus. It's for the first time ever, they're offering a trade-in program for the remainder of March. So to get involved in that, you need to have an Exodus camera registered in their database, so kind of a repeat customer type deal. Uh, you can trade in any old Lyft, Lyft 2, or Trek and lock in $100 savings off the Exodus render um, or render bundle. Uh, if you're in the position to lock in these savings, um, here's what you'll need to do. Go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and use promo code TRADEUP, T-R-A-D-E-U-P, at checkout um, to lock in your $100 in savings. So then after you make the order, the Exodus team will email you a shipping label with the, the order number for reference to your email. you got to print that return label, put it, Put in your Exodus camera you're trading in. So like, say you're trading in a Trek. You put that Trek into, into a box. You ship it to Exodus with their, their, their label. And then once they receive that box in with your old camera, they'll ship your order in. Sounds like a great way uh, to get into a, a, a cell camera to me. Um, if that's a little challenging to follow or I didn't describe that well, go uh, to the link in the podcast notes and follow the instructions they have on their website. Probably the best way of doing it. With that, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Dan is back again. How's it going, Dan? Going good. We're going to do the uh, Q&A we put on the um, Facebook form mm, about a week and a half ago. So uh, we're going to get through as many as we can, and probably be, this will probably be a two-part series. I think there's a, close to 40 questions, so um, you probably hear some paper in the background. That's me flipping through the paper, so sorry about that. Um, well, let's get started. <laughs> so the first question is, when scouting a new property in farm country um, that's hilly, um, that you never step foot on, What's the first thing you look for to help you locate bedding? 
uh, leeward side hills. So the first thing I do is go to, I look at the, the uh, predominant wind. So um, most of the places I go, predominantly the wind comes out of the west. It can be west or it can be northwest or southwest. So I look for um, east-facing slopes so that the wind is blowing from the west over the top. And in hill country, I will find uh, the overall majority of the buck bedding um, right in the top third of the leeward side hills. So I'll, I'll walk that leeward edge. And when it's farm country, usually the, the um, steep hillsides are what's timbered. The fields are what's uh, open, so they're not far in from the field usually mm -hmm. on those sloped hills. Um, if you can find little jogs out of the um, hillsides, like little points, mm -hmm. little knobs, um, those usually get more bedding than just this straight hill because um, the bucks like to bed with the wind coming over the hill and the thermals coming up from the bottom. So when you got a little knob sticking out, they can move around that knob and uh, catch, you know, they can go from, you know, northwest to southwest pretty easy, you know, and stay in the same spot without having to move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that deer that's on, um, that Gary put on our, I did a little hunt recap with my buddy Gary in early season. It was like, um, pretty typical farm country with some hills in it. And that's exactly what that mm -hmm. deer was doing. It was bedding on a, a, um, kind of a Southeast side of a slope or a, the hill. And, uh, you know, we didn't actually go back and look for the bed or anything. We found it in the, in scouting. Um, but yeah, it was just bedding up there on, on a little, uh, military crest that was on the top of that hill, not top, but about two thirds yeah. of the way up. Yep. When you actually figure out how they bed based on hills, mm -hmm. you can tear apart a farm like that really quick. Yep. And if you're, I don't know, I don't know the scenario of this question or anything, but like if it's a farm, like pri private land farm, they can, I mean, they'll, you know, don't, don't forget to, over, you know, overlook little spots on farms seem to always have that, whether it be some bunch of junk a farmers put in the corner somewhere, or, you know, something like that, where they can watch yep. the entrance. Um, this, I don't know. I have no idea if you guys are talking, this question's about, you know, big public land or something, but, um, another spot that they can hide from you on. <laughs> All right. Second question. It's a, it's a pretty good one. Um, my buddy Zank actually asked this one. Do you feel ego can get in the way of being a productive next level hunter? No, absolutely. Um, I see that all the time. I mean, uh, once a guy gets cocky and arrogant about, uh, killing good bucks, he stops learning. Yeah. Um, you see it a lot with guys that get up to the level where they start shooting two and three year olds. Mm -hmm. They just can't get past that level. And they think they're, they think they're great, but because they shoot a buck every year, but really getting up to that level of shooting, you know, four or five, six year old bucks, um, is a whole nother step above. And a lot of people can't get there because they get, uh, an ego or an attitude that's, mm -hmm. um, that's too much, you know, um, but with that said, ego can be a good thing, uh, you know, when it's, when it's 
in the right dose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you, ha- you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you know, you have to have a little bit of that cocky arrogance to really believe that you pull this stuff off because you don't have any belief in yourself. You're, um, certainly not going to be able to go sit those crazy spots and, you know, sit over and over again without seeing something, you know, and then go out again the next day and sit without seeing something. Yeah. You know, that's how you kill things, you know, is you just got to keep doing it. Um, so you got to, you got to have a on, on little bit of an arrogance that you believe you can do it, you know, but when it gets uh, out of hand, yeah, it hurts you in a lot of ways. Yep. It hurts your relationships. It hurts your hunting. Uh, absolutely. Yep. You start doing things that, uh, you know, may not be real ethical because you're, you got to keep feeding that ego or you're worried about, you know, what other people think of you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a good question. Something for people to, to think about. All right. How do you determine what time of year to hunt a specific area based off of the mature buck sign you find while scouting in the off season? Uh, that's something we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes good detective work. I mean, you can look at rubs. You can tell um, by the coloration of the rubs, the fading, um, whether those rubs are in rut or they were you know, back from September, um, a little bit of that's guesswork, but if you start looking at enough, enough trees, um, you can tell that certain, certain trees like say, um, buckthorn trees and they rub them, they're orange. They rub them in September by, by wintertime when you're scouting, they're actually starting to turn gray, but the ones that were rubbed in November are still orange. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is like the buck I, I killed last year. Um, that buck, I knew he was bedding there in September because the type of bushes he was bedding under leave, lose their leaves in early October and they don't bed in open sun and there was heavy beds right there underneath those bushes and they were all rubbed with the big rubs that he was rubbing. So I was real confident that it was the bedding area was being used real heavy and it was being used in September. Um, and I killed that buck because of that by targeting that time frame. So um, there's lots of clues you can get. I mean, a bedding area that's uh, rubbed up like crazy, you know, rubs all over the place. And it's probably being bedded, you know, late October, early November when you're rubbing a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Um, okay. This is probably, this is kind of the same, um, same kind of question. How often has spring scouting actually turned into a kill? <laughs> uh, quite often. Yeah. Um, it usually, uh, results in my best kills. Um, finding those bedding areas, uh, in springtime and figuring them out and having a good setup, uh, is really productive on big animals. Um, cause they usually got some sort of little niche and there's usually, you got one tree you could kill them on. Um, yeah, it's, it, a lot of my big bucks came from uh, spring scouting. Yeah, same. And it may not be necessarily I like always set in the same exact tree that I picked out in the spring because a lot of times you you get uh, you know you get in there in October and things look completely different. You can't set in the tree mm-hmm. you were you know. But man, like the spot, yeah, a lot. Um, so so sometimes sometimes uh, um, you do have to shift trees around because the mm-hmm. wind when you go in there is different or things like that. Sometimes it's a group of trees you pick out. Sometimes it's, uh, like you said, that something changed from spring to fall. 
Um, but a, a lot of times it is an exact tree. You know, some of the spots I hunt, I mean, when you start talking in the spots where these big bucks are, they're usually in a lot of trees. A lot of times there's just one you can hunt out of, really. Yeah. Okay. Depends on the terrain, obviously. I mean, yeah. there's differences between uh, hilly wooded terrain and, you know, low swampy terrain and river bottoms and farms and stuff like that. Okay, this next question, I'm going to try to paraphrase it because it got pretty long. Um, he, he has, it's, I think it's a little bit of a two-parter. He says, do, do five- and six-year-old bucks bed in the same bed location as a three- or a four-year-old buck? We'll answer that first, then I'll, we'll, we'll uh, go to the second part here after that. Okay. Um, you, you know, um, once they get to maturity, I see them... Uh, um, bed in less spots it's like less spots will have the security for them um a lot of times uh, a lot of good bedding areas i know never produce much more than a three-year-old um you know when you start getting into three they start getting pretty secure about their bedding mm-hmm. um but older than that even more so you know so the three is kind of like the cutoff but i find a lot of bedding areas that uh you know, just keep producing two-year-old animals, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, the older they get, the more secure they get in their bedding. And kind of, um, to go a little off the question, but to kind of lock in my answer, um, in my opinion, mature bucks are easier to kill than younger bucks in bedding areas because mature bucks will have fewer bedding areas. And they'll lock in those bedding areas and they're harder to get to push out of those bedding areas. The hard part is finding those bedding areas. They usually have a very secure mm-hmm. hidden spot. But once you find them, those bucks seem a little easier to kill um, once you have them locked down. Yep. And then, okay, this this guy, he was kind of saying um, he's killed, he kills a whole bunch of three and four year olds, um, but he was. He has never killed a five or six year old uh, buck, um, and he has some. Sounds like he has some problems in the area where you know it's must be high pressure because everybody around him shoots you know the small deer, and he he's kind of asking, should I just uh, let those three or four year olds walk, or or is that a bad idea most of the time? <laughs> well, I guess, you know that's a hard question to answer because yeah. I'm not him, right? You know, you got you to look at what you're happy with. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm happy with three- and four-year-olds, but I'm still shooting, you know, five-, six-, seven-year-old bucks. Um, and, and I'm doing so because I'm hunting them. You know, you got to hunt those animals in order to kill them. Mm-hmm. And I think um, if you're not seeing and not getting on those bucks, I would just look a little more at your mythology. But I don't know if I'd be uh, – I personally would be – um, upset about only shooting three and four year olds on pressured land where everybody else is shooting two year olds. Yeah. Um, I'd be I'd be happy with that, but that's me. Yeah. Um, I do have to be in the game for those big bucks, though. Um, so what I'm saying is maybe he's got to look at uh, is he rotating through the same spots a lot? Is he you, you know hunting in the same manner all the time? Um, because you know, he might be stuck in that age class. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of guys that get stuck in the two and three year old age class because 
they hunt a certain way. Um, so what I mean by that is you sort of got to kind of get in the mindset of finding those overlooked spots that hold mature bucks. And it's a different way of looking. You're not hunting funnels. You're not hunting areas where you find people's trees and stuff. You're finding places where people just don't go. I mean, they might walk through there once or twice a year looking for sheds or something like that, but people just don't hunt there. Um, most of those real big old bucks I'm getting, I'm shooting out of a bush. It's the only only spot, you know, where you can even get elevated off the ground. I'm hunting them, uh, you, you know, in, in corners that are, you got to go through waist-deep water, um, but still you're right alongside the road and nobody's going to wade through water to hunt 100 yards from the road. It's spots where people don't go is what holds those really older class bucks. I mean, mm-hmm. they find some niche. Um, and you're still going to be able to shoot, you know, three and four year olds. You're going to see a few less deer, but when you see deer, they're usually bigger. And, uh, mm-hmm. it at least gets you in the ball game for those giants. Yeah. Um, I guess my opinion is if, if, um, if it's as pressured as he's acting like it is in this question, um, mm-hmm. I would be prepared if you're trying to hold out for a six year old, I'd be prepared, prepared to sometimes eat tag soup because there's not very many of those, you know, running around. I mean, you know, true. But I, I mean, I just took it for granted that if he's asking like that, he knows of some that live there. Yeah. Maybe so. Because he, like, like you're saying, like you're alluding to, yeah. they don't live on every property. Mm-hmm. Now I have to go find those bucks to, to hunt them. Mm-hmm. So I have to, um, where I live, um, there is not going to be a five or six year old buck on every property I hunt. Mm-hmm. If you're so shooting... I have to go every year and make my rounds and find where there's one living that I know that I get some sort of mm-hmm. confirmation that he made it through or he's alive or, or find a new one yep. to go after. Yep. Um, because they do not, you know, survive forever, obviously. And they, uh, mm-hmm. don't live everywhere. It sounds like by the question, he's not happy with how things are going. So you might as well hold off if you're not happy with a three or four year old, but man, some four year olds can be giants. <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Right. I, I mean, yeah. you know, that's the way I look at it too, is like where I live, the majority of Boone and Crockett's that are shot are three years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that they don't get bigger when they're four or five, but they're three years old because you know, there's more three-year-olds than there are yeah. four or five-year-olds getting yep. shot. Matter yep. of fact, I mean, where I live, I mean, most of the real big bucks I know of, nobody ever gets them. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually they just disappear. I don't know if they die of old age, you get hit by a car or what, but if they get shot, you hear about them. And most of the really big ones just disappear. They just fade out of the limelight eventually. Mm-hmm. And, you, and it leaves you wondering whatever happened to them. Yep. Yep. And, uh, the ones that get shot are usually the three-year-olds. I mean, they're, they're still making mistakes, you know? Yep. That's hundred percent true. I had a buck, um, here in the hills in Indiana that I, I chased around for three years and all three years I found both sides of his sheds and during season, I can never figure him out. can never find him. I have no idea where he would wander off to during season, but, um, yeah, they're good. They're good at living when they get old like that. But, um, all right. If you're, if you're shooting three and four year olds every year, you're doing pretty good. So, um, yep. You're probably good enough to shoot a six year old if you can do that every single year. All right. 
here's another one. They want to know if Dan's newfound healthy lifestyle has positively, positively impacted his ability to be more um, effective employing beast tactics. Uh, not really, because everywhere I go now, I got to beat the girls off with a stick. Oh, or yeah. The I and everything. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is uh, helping quite a bit. I mean, um, um, losing 60 pounds has been um, enormous for my get up and go. I mean, yeah. I, I feel healthier. I, I, uh, my knees don't hurt no more. My back don't hurt no more. I feel fresh. Um, I feel like I want to run laps. Um, it's not like I expected. I expected I'd feel a little better, but I mean, it's almost like I went on an age diet, not a weight diet. Yeah. Um, I would have did this a long time ago if I knew I'd, I'd have felt this good. Out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's great. It's helped me in all kinds of ways. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'd like, this guy says, uh, I like ideas on why some mature bucks will leave very little if, no sign at all in their core areas. Hmm. You know, I think they just, um, okay. I, I got an opinion on this and, and, and here's what it is, is that there's less of those mature bucks. And the reason they leave rubs and scrapes and aggressive sign around their bedding areas is to tell other bucks, not those, but bucks, this is my area you know mm -hmm. um you're gonna get a fight if you come in here mature bucks don't have to do that they own the area everything's afraid of them so they're off doing their sign you know in other places they're marking food or they're marking um does things like that but they don't really have to mark their bedding areas as much now that changes if you get into an area that's got a lot of mature bucks like uh if i go scout somebody's property who's managing deer and i help them with that i noticed that the uh, big buck bedding areas are ripped up like crazy mm -hmm. with huge, huge rubs and scrapes with big tracks in it um, because they're competing with other bucks. But most of the, most of the uh, sign of scraping and rubbing and stuff that you find around bedding areas isn't to attract those, you know, in buck bedding. It's to um, take ownership, you know, and, and to compete with other bucks. And if they don't have to compete because they're the kingpin then they're not really rubbing and scraping i mean the biggest buck i ever shot i watched him bed in the same spot for two years many many times i even picked up one of his sheds in that bed and there wasn't a rubber scrape within 100 yards of it now you get around a two-year-old's bed and almost always there's rubs all over the place mm -hmm. scrapes all over the place and stuff well that's because there's more two-year-olds they're usually competing you get into some heavy pressure areas and, and even a two-year-old doesn't have to mark them up yep because he's the, he's the biggest buck in the woods, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I went to Iowa, I was in Iowa this weekend, and, I mean, the I've never seen so many giant rubs, you know, just big, tall rubs on big trees. I mean, just every, everywhere, you know, they're everywhere. And I I assume it's because of the, the fact that there's probably, you know, five times Multiple more big yeah, bucks. big bucks in that area than, uh, than most places that I would wander around scouting, you know. Yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is if, if you don't have any big rubs anywhere in your woods or on your property, you don't have any big bucks in your property. And if you're getting a picture of one here and there, they're just passing through because all bucks rub trees. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of where they rub them. 
Yep. For sure. Okay. This guy says, I hunt river bottoms that connect to miles and miles of rolling open hardwoods. What would your strategy be for these types of, of river bottoms? Um, you know, I'd probably concentrate mostly on the river bottom itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the rolling hardwoods have um, good uh, ridge lines, I'd probably look at leeward ridges as well. Um if it's more, you know, real rolling, I'd probably concentrate more on the um, river bottom, and I'd probably also look for uh, clear cuts in the woods and downwind sides, um, unless those are getting a lot of pressure. Yep. Yeah, deer deer love bedding in, um, like, those banks, too. A lot of times I've I've jumped big deer, you know, in, in the river. We got I got a river here on the some of the property we hunt, and... Um, yeah, they'll they'll tuck up in a bank or something and lay in there. Um, and I yeah, I think depending on I don't know what sometimes rolling hills to me I don't I don't know what that exactly means all the time. I don't know if that's just right. some some gradual ups and downs or if it's like ridges. So um, right, that's what I didn't get out of the question. Yeah, um, if, if it's ridges, I'd be looking at leeward sides. Mm-hmm. If it's um, just rolling rounded hills, I mean. Uh, that doesn't sound like the greatest terrain in the world. I'd be looking for some sort of edge then, mm-hmm. you know, edge, edge can be, uh, all deer kind of live on edge. So you're either looking for leeward sides, you're looking for openings, you're looking for the edges of thick. So those are the things I listed, yeah. you know, um, uh, a, a ridge, you know, you know, that's got a leeward side to it. Mm-hmm. You're going to look for, um, the edge of thick cover on the edge of the river. You look for an oxbow along the river bottom. You yep. look for grasses and stuff that, that are down in the lower areas or dogwood that are in the low stuff along the river. You're going to look for um, clear cuts in the downwind sides of them, in, you know, in the woods itself. So those are the things I'd be looking for. I'd also look for alternative ways of going in. If you got a river there, I'd, I'd definitely try to use that as access sometimes because I'm probably not mm-hmm. very many people do that. Um, yeah, well, yes and no. See, I've seen it where, you know, you think a river is going to be great, and then you get in there and you find out that uh, there's a freaking canoe club that goes down there once a week, you know, oh, yeah. with a group of people that canoe the river. You know, some rivers are great because they don't get traveled much. Some suck because they get traveled a lot. Um, the, the one thing I, I, I would kind of look at when you look at that big woods, and this guy's probably getting confused because he's looking at this vast area. Mm-hmm. Well, you just cut out all that vastness. You're just going straight to the terrain, terrains that hold deer, you know, leeward edges. I mean, leeward uh, hills. Um, I mean, leeward ridges, um, downwind sides of thick cover, um, the edges of thick cover, the river bottom itself. And some of that stuff you're going to find maybe gets boat travel. Some of it maybe doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But those are the places where the deer are going to be. That'll that'll take that huge vast area he's looking at, and cut that down into small little sections he can scout and get onto those deer quickly because they're going to be on that edge somewhere. Okay, here's one I know nothing about. Um, this guy wants to know um, how bucks uh, bed differently in areas where timber wolves are dense. Okay. Um, 
I don't know that it's a whole lot different, um, but I do think that uh, they might worry a little more about escape route. Um, and I've noticed that in wolf territory, deer move a lot more in midday. Like in northern Wisconsin, uh, I'm always shocked to see, you know, 11, 12 o'clock movement outside of the rut. You know, and I've noticed that in northern Minnesota, too. Um, when you get around those wolves, I think the wolves hunt a lot at night. And then the, then the, the deer uh, move more during the day. Um, that's my theory on it, anyways. I've noticed that in uh, wolf territory, they move more during the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, my guess is that it's because of um, wolf harassment. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I've never hunted in an area where there's wolves, not for whitetails. So, um, yeah, I I do think that uh, even when you get into non-wolf areas, say even Indiana where you look, mm-hmm. genetically, and I I think they still have a disposition, yeah, of bedding like they did for wolves years ago. I mean, it's still in their instinct. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, would they act that much different around a wolf and a coyote? I mean, you know, I think it's probably still the same kind of threat to them, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think so. A wolf's a little more dangerous than a coyote to a deer, but but uh, yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I, what, I, what I'm getting at is, I mean, oh, oh, a coyote is just a smaller wolf. Yeah, and it's it's not going to pester it any less. But though, people too. I mean, at. people come at them like wolves and stuff too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you look at uh, you look at uh, how humans go after deer. Wolves aren't much different. I mean, mm-hmm. in wolf territory. Um, deer tend to bed isolated by water well they do that up here too mm-hmm. you, you know when they're in low flat territory um they'll they'll the reason they bed like on a leeward hill smelling the wind over the hill looking down the hill and protecting all sides is because of wolves over history mm-hmm. even where it's not wolves i think that's where it originated from what, what built them the way they are because at one time that was their main predator everywhere yeah Okay, we kind of answered. We are, we we did answer this next one all, already. Will mature bucks use the same bed, bedding uh, repeatedly? Dan kind of alluded to that in a past question. The answer is yes. Well, you know, just to lock that down, I've noticed that uh, mature bucks will just have a few veterinarians and locking them. I mean, when you start getting into like the five, six, seven-year-old bucks, they usually really lock down an area. Mm-hmm. You know they're hard to kick out of it, but if you if you go in and you um, say you, you you're hunting a a very nice two year old or a you know or a three year old, those deer tend to you bump them and they tend to be more likely to move a mile or so mm-hmm. or move to a whole different area or move to a whole different bedding area. The mature bucks just tend to seem to like uh, let you slip through, stay tight, hold tight, uh, move around you, but stay in the same area. They get, uh, they've gotten to learn where dangers are in the woods, and they like their little safe area where they can monitor. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, any deer you put enough pressure on it, it's moving. But, uh, um, anyways, I just wanted to lock that down a little, yeah. little better than we did in the earlier question. And okay, this next one we. We covered, but it's a different, I guess it's a little bit different scenario. 
Um, how would you break down and hunt several hundred thousand acres of public ground that's extremely steep and rugged? Like, like I'm assuming like maybe we're in West Virginia or someplace like that. Mm-hmm. Eastern well, Kentucky. I'm, I mean, again, if it's extremely steep, I'm looking at leeward sides. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at um, um, if it's extremely steep, there's going to be a uh, military crest. The bedding's going to be right at the military crest, where, you know, the rounded hills, it's not. It floats up and down, which is going to put the uh, bedding up high, top third, top fourth. Um, and it's going to be leeward sides. Um, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take a look at a map. I'm going to mark off all the ridges. And maybe I'll use a colored pen and I'll take uh, um, red and mark all the east facing ridges for west wind and blue and do um, south facing for north, mm-hmm. you know, and yellow for, you know, any ridge that's facing north for uh, a south wind, you know, and so on. Mm-hmm. And then when I look at what the winds are. I'll look at the hills and I'll say, okay, he's going to be on these hills. And then I'll look at those hills in depth and say, well, okay, what has the best features and I'll concentrate on that. If, you know, this is if I'm hunting, if I'm scouting, I'm just going to walk those ridges. And all I really have to look at is that top third. And all those beds will be at that same height. They're not going to be across that whole vast area. And the other thing is if it's really a huge vast area, say it's 10,000 acres. And now you're getting a little confused by all those ridge lines. We'll take and look at that 10,000 acres and say, you know, what 200 acres of here looks the best to me. Concentrate there, learn that area, and then expand out from that. If you start trying to concentrate on too much stuff, it's going to get confusing. Yeah. But once you learn one little area, um, then branch out and, and learn the stuff around it. Yep. Okay. In your experience with mature bucks, how far will they bed from a doe group and wait for one to come into estrus. So this is kind of a rut question. Okay. So during rut, how close do they bed to the doe? Yeah. He's asking how far will a buck bed from a doe group and wait for one to come into estrus? Okay. Well, um, let's talk non-rut ones. So, Bucks bed right adjacent to doe bedding a lot. You know, does will bed just a little higher up on the point or whatever, but they bed in the same general areas. They don't bed in the same spots, but the same general areas. And you'll get um, singular does and doe with, with a couple fawns that will bed right into buck bedding areas and come right out of the buck beds. Doe groups will bed up a little higher. Now, there'll be spots where these does bed a lot and bucks will bed adjacent for rut and i'll see you know in the midwest here right around that last week of october those bucks will start moving in on those doe bedding areas they don't necessarily bed downwind but they'll they'll either bed downwind or they'll bed watching the entrance but they won't encroach to those too much because those won't put up with them they won't put up with the harassment. Mm-hmm. But those will bed, the bucks will bed there and watch the does, get up, move to the does, and the does move. Um, what you'll notice is that uh, the bedding area they come out of is usually ripped up like crazy. The rubs on it like crazy. 
um, but the beds aren't used very well because they're only bedding there for rut, right? So the rut beds. Um, now I have a couple of spots, like um, there's one primary bedding area I know that, uh, it's actually the one I killed the Rome legend in, that has a doe bedding area that's about 100 yards from it. And the does have to come kind of adjacent to this buck bedding area to get out of there. So this buck bedding area has bucks in it all year round. But when I see the, the biggest bucks in there is that last week of October because they bed in there on purpose to watch those does. So uh, I don't know if that exactly answered his question, but that's, that's what I've seen. Yep. This is a good question. This is a, uh, it's kind of a scenario. So I'm just going to read it here. It says, uh, he'd love to hear your opinion on food priorities as the season evolves. So he's, he gave you a scenario here. Say there is a bean field, a corn field, an alfalfa field, all within a quarter mile. There are a stand of producing white oaks and red oaks within a quarter mile. Can you break down the timeline as to which is the preferred and when they switch? That's <laughs> mm. a it's a good question. I mean, it's a it's kind of a fun thing to think about, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I usually uh, honestly uh, worry more about. Um, bedding and uh, deer movement coming out of bedding, but I see bedding shift because of food, so I concentrate on, on food a little bit, or I hunt uh, bedding adjacent to white oak slot or corn or, or whatever, and I guess what I see is when, when um, white oaks are dropping, they're usually the biggest draw around. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, beans are close compete, but beans almost always go south just before hunting starts. Well, especially guess, if you're uh, October 1st. Occasionally opening. in the states that open really early, you'll see beans go, you know, into September mm-hmm. for a week or so. Um, then they pick back up later, but it's not like when they first come in. Um, the uh, There's all kinds of other things that come into play. Like uh, early season, I see um, white oaks, and then the secondary, I, I see... Uh, orange juliper, uh, stinging nettles and stuff being some of the better draws and the ones that aren't talked about, but seem to be a bigger draw. In my opinion, you see more deer hitting that stuff, but they're, they actually probably hit that stuff and then hit corn or then hit beans yeah. and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm looking for where they, they feed in daylight adjacent to bedding, you know, um, and they'll bed next to that stuff on purpose because they get up and they feed in it, uh, till daylight. You know, I don't know that I could put a timeline on any of it, which is better. Um, I go out there like everybody else, and I look at the sign around it and determine if they're feeding on the corn or feeding on the beans or feeding on the acorns. I just think that when there's white acorns dropping, they're going to white acorns. You know, when those are gone, they kind of like the reds, and the rest of the stuff like corn and stuff is secondary, in my opinion. I think there's more um, native species they feed on, especially the older older deer, than the, than the crops. I mean, you look at the the, um, the marsh behind my house. Um, it's completely surrounded by private, and all the private is is fields. It's, there's clover and alfalfa, and there's corn and there's beans, and you, you know I can um, I can shine here and I can drive around and shine all summer. Mm-hmm. And just before hunting season, then they change the hours, but 
during the summer I can shine all night. And there's bucks that live in the swamp year round. I can go around this, this swamp for two weeks straight and never see one of those bucks because they're in the swamp feeding on stuff in the swamp. You, you know, they're not feeding in the crops. You know, you know, it's kind of hit or miss. I think uh, people worry way, way too much about food. Yeah. And they should really be worrying about where they're bedding and living in daylight and how they're coming out of it. Now that goes a little hand in hand with food, but, uh, um, I, I think you, you still got to go look at the stuff. I think acorns are the biggest one and, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, acorns then, uh, maybe, uh, if you're looking at crops, um, beans that for a very narrow window, very early in the year. And a lot of States aren't even open, but you know, you know, when the beans are good and, uh, then they go to, uh, corn and, uh, well, probably over corn would be clover. Yeah. Uh, clover and alfalfa and then corn, you know, but yeah, he wasn't asking about this, but the, like the thing about corn is, is they, it also provides them with cover. So, you know, it can be a draw in that manner. Um, yeah, there, there's different kinds of corn too. Yeah, that's true. There's a, there's a corn, they did a study on, not very many people know about this, but they did a study on, uh, a corn called high lysine corn. Mm-hmm. And what high lysine corn is, is the corn they use to make tortilla chips and stuff for human consumption. Mm-hmm. So it's like the hard corn, but it's made for making tortilla chips and stuff, right? Um, there's such a draw for deer to this that they're trying to find ways to keep deer from eating it. So they did a study um, and tested some things. And some of the things they did, uh, and I saw this in a farming study. It had nothing to do with hunting. That's why not many hunters have heard about this. But the they took it and they put it in the middle of a, a uh, cornfield of regular corn. And the deer went completely through the cornfield, ate all the high lysine corn, and then started feeding on the other corn. Hmm. And they wanted to see if, like, they put it adjacent to regular corn, if they'd leave the regular corn alone. And what happened is it drove deer from a larger area and they ate all the high lysine corn, and then they ate all the regular corn too and they ate more than they would have because of the high lysine corn drawing them into the area hmm. um but that stuff um if a guy could get that to plant for deer i think would be huge and i don't think a lot of people know about it hmm, that's interesting you know what it looks like if it looks what is different about it like it looks a lot do. like cow corn but it's just it's um you can google it and yeah. a lot of that stuff that i just said will come up Okay. Hmm. I'd look but, into that. um, it's really, it hasn't been discussed much in, uh, um, hunting industry. You, you think, uh, food plot guys and stuff would get onto that, but mm-hmm. I don't think they've figured it out yet. Interesting. Okay. Here's just a, here's a fun one. What do y'all like to hunt besides deer? No, I love, um, large predators. Um, for me, that's bears, um, yep. but I'd really love to do a mountain lion. I'd, I'd love to get a grizzly bear sometime. Um, I guess my dream hunt would be a, a, a coastal brown bear. Um, I like moose. Um, haven't shot a moose, haven't shot a brown bear or a grizzly, but I've shot a lot of black bears. I love black bear hunting. Um, that's, they're really a very intelligent animal. 
and it's more of a chess game than what people believe. I think they think because you're using bait that it's just, you just sitting over a pile of donuts and mm-hmm. hunting like Homer Simpson. But <laughs> um, and sometimes you are. I mean, a lot of times with guides you are. Um, but uh, if you start playing cat and mouse with them things, the, the bigger um, boar black bears, they're a, a very fun animal to hunt. Um, and very smart, and they they live a lot older than deer. So I mean, uh, sometimes you're, you're you're shooting deer uh, bears that are, you know, 15 years old. I, I've got uh, I've got uh, one that's 15. I shot one that's 12. Mm. Um, I've got a I got a 500 pound bear in, in Wisconsin. Um, and when you're specifically targeting those animals and you kill them, I mean, it's it's for me it's every bit as exciting as deer hunting, if not more so. Yeah. Um, but um, most people you talk to kind of shrug their shoulders. I think, I think uh, like when I'm filming hunts and stuff, when I put a bear hunt up, I'm so excited about the bear hunt and stuff. And it's sad to only see like 5,000 views, Yeah. but not everybody hunts bears. They don't have bears where they live. Everybody has whitetails around, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, I love bear hunting. Uh, so if you're looking for something I do outside of deer, that would be it. I don't like shooting, you know, like, um, tame pheasants that are released uh, I, you know turkeys are fun um, I don't like shooting bunnies or yeah. You know, I'll shoot the occasional coyote or something but it's like man you know Yeah. but um, bear and deer uh, are what really do it for me yeah I enjoy going out west I like going mule deer hunting and then elk hunting um, mm-hmm. I've been on quite a few um, those hunts out there just by myself, <clears throat> just in, on public land. Um, I had it, I had it pretty bad for elk hunting for a while there, and then kind of switched over to to uh, mule deer hunting. But um, I'm not going to get out there this year, so going to Iowa instead. Something else that was really mm-hmm. fun that like I could do a lot of is I like I loved hog hunting when I was down um, in South Carolina doing that. Man, that was a lot of fun. That's something that's cheap. Yeah, that and, seemed fun to me too. I wouldn't mind uh, yeah. doing that more. It's just hard to find the time. Oh, I know. I know. It's hard to get into too many things. Um, I'm with you with like turkey. Like, eh, it's, it's all right. You know, it's, that's about, it's a, it's a good reason to go out in the woods kind of thing for me. I'm not, uh, I didn't well, It's really, a good break in between, yeah. uh, in between uh, real hunts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whenever I was young, we didn't do a lot of turkey hunting. Um, I mean, hardly at all. My dad and my grandpa and my uncles, none of them turkey hunted. Um, there just wasn't a whole bunch of them around in southern Indiana. Uh, there were none here. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there was no turkeys here when I was growing up. So when they came, it was an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they first got here, I mean, uh, when I first hunted them, I had never even seen one. First time I went turkey hunting. Yeah. And, um. Uh, uh, they had just started giving permits away, and it was, like, really hard to get a permit. Mm-hmm. And I got a permit, and I, I went to a place um, in the Cedar Wild Wildlife Refuge. I drew a permit for there, and I went there, and I hunted turkeys for um, a week straight, living out of the back of my pickup truck, and never saw or heard one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I said I said Southern Indiana. I meant Northern Indiana. I, I spent most of my youth up in northern Indiana and we didn't I think mm-hmm. you couldn't even hunt them on public land unless you got drawn I don't think up there um yeah we just didn't do it yeah my, my first one uh 
I crawled through a, a, a swamp and crawled up <laughs> it and shot it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think me and Dan would be, uh, I think I could speak for Dan here. We're not your traditional, I don't think we're your traditional turkey hunters per se, or your purest right? turkey hunters. I just try to kill one however I can get it, get it killed usually. There's, there's probably some people listening getting pissed off because uh, they love turkey yeah. hunting. But, yeah. uh, you, you know, I've killed my share of turkeys. Yeah. Um, we got into it for a while there where it was just a blast, and not for myself, but for the, the group event. Yeah. Um, me and... Uh, old Dave um, would go out every year and we'd take the kids out and we'd get some other guys involved. And we used to have this big area that we hunted and uh, we had a lot of private land mixed in with the public. And uh, we would try, we'd just hunt like madmen the whole season. And we'd make sure we had people lined up that had a permit for each week of the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here there's like five seasons or something like that. And uh, we get the kids' birds, and you know, and it was just a, a riot. But it was more or less just a, a team fun atmosphere mm-hmm. and stuff. And when the kids grew out of it and didn't want to turkey hunt no more, and think turkey hunting's for kids, I guess. Um, and then it was just me and Dave. It kind of lost its luster. But we'd go out every year, and now I don't even have Dave around. So yeah, I don't know. I'll probably go, but it won't be the same. Yeah, I mean, just sure. going out there and turkey hunting by myself. I. I'm. I mean, I, I don't. I don't get a lot out of turkey hunting. Yep. I get the. Uh, I get why people like it. It just isn't for me all the way. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up, I actually did a lot of hunting with dogs. That was something that my grandpa and my dad um, were really into. My grandpa raised beagle hounds and did competition hunts, and we did coon hunting and squirrel hunting with dogs. So. Mm-hmm. Um. I had all through high school. I had a coon dog and a, and and rabbit dogs, so um, yeah, that's just kind of one of those things where after a while you become an adult and it's something you have to take care of all year round. You have to you know keep it uh, um, sharp or whatever trained and all that stuff. And it's just you run out of time to do everything you want to do, you know. Um, right. But. Fun times, good memories back in the day with the, with uh, the family and dogs. But all right, let's keep going here. Um, what is your average on being correct on the stand you choose, and what, if any, do the stands or locations of your stand have in common? So I think he's asking like, how many hunts does it take to shoot a buck? Usually, kind of thing. That's not what I got out of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought he was asking like the, the uh, like my set, like if you're picking the set right. That's not what you're getting? I was, I am assuming he's asking, what is the average on being correct? Which I guess correct is, you shoot, shoot a buck? I don't know. I thought I thought he meant like the correct tree or something. No, the, the, you, you, so you think he means... Uh, what is the average that I pick the spot that the buck I'm hunting shows up at? That's how I take it, but you can answer however you want. <laughs> I just assume when he says being correct, I would assume that's like. Okay. Um, All right. You know, There's you, a lot of ways you one. can, you can deem that question. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm going to assume you're right and, and <laughs> say that. Uh, so how often do I, I hunt a buck and pick the right tree? Yeah. And then what do those, those locations have in common? 
I would say for a for a random buck, you know, like I picked a spot for that a nice buck will show up is probably uh, one, maybe ten, one in fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, that a buck will show up, you know, probably fifty percent. Um, for the buck that I'm hunting, an exact buck, it's probably uh, maybe let's say I I do. I do about 80 or 90 hunts a year and I have that happen about two or three times a year. Yeah. So maybe one in 20, one in 30, um, that everything goes perfect where they come in where they're supposed to. And that doesn't mean I don't blow it. <laughs> but, right. You know, well, I think it's, um, it's kind of important for people to know that, like how much we hunt, like some people don't hunt 15 yeah. times in a year, you know? So mm-hmm. your, your odds of seeing your buck, you know, I guess unless you're hunting a twins on the property you're hunting, but you know, it's not that good. Right. <laughs> I, I will say though, that, um, there are certain situations where I expected a lot more, mm-hmm. like where I shot my buck this year. I expected that to be the position. I expected that to be a premium hunt. I waited for the exact day and stuff where a lot of places I'm going on, I'm just going to give it a hunt. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of more hopeful than, than believing in right. it, but where I went to kill that buck, I believed I was going to kill that buck that day and did it. And that, that happens quite often, but I'm holding that spot for a certain day to hunt it. So the question has a lot of, uh, ifs to it or, you know what I mean? Yeah. On particular hunts, um, I might have a lot of belief, but I'm, you know, you only get that hunt you know, a couple times a year. So you're really, you know, trying to hit it the right day or whatever. Um, what what they have in common is um, with uh, most of them are pre-scouted spots that I I had found in the winter, um, and or already know, but you know, only hunt every you know once a year or something. Um, and when you get into the mature bucks that I've shot. Um, generally the biggest, uh, common denominator is it's the very first time I ever hunted the spot or, or at least the very first time that year. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got anything on that? Um, I've never like figured up how many times I set per year and see bucks but it can't be too far off that i mean uh, this year i'd see i probably sh- i probably shot my buck um whatever it was october 20th and i probably set 15 times that you know that month mm-hmm. I, may, I may have missed five days i don't know maybe not but something like that and that wasn't a that wasn't a target buck by any means it was just a nice buck that came through um so yeah, it's it's not very often, you know. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. You have to you have to put a lot of time in to kill a buck, typically. Right. I mean, if it were easy, um, everybody'd be doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is a lot of work and it's hard. Um, and if that's what the guys alluded to, like ah, I don't think I should be doing this. I mean, you know how much work these guys are putting in. Yeah. Well, that's how you get it done. It's the work that 
Yeah. And that's the result. And it's not for everyone. I mean, you do have to push it. I mean, I hear a lot of guys tell me, I've only got 10 times to hunt in a year. And, yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's a long road if you think you're going to be consistent every year. Yep. Doesn't mean you have to be consistent every year, but a lot of a guy tell me that uh, he wants to get a, you know, this huge buck he's after, and he's going to get it this year. And he's got, then, he, then he turns around and says he hunts 10 times in a year. Well, mm-hmm. I, I hunt 10 times in 10 days. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's not apples to apples. No. Um, I've altered my work hours just so I can hunt every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yep, there's something too. to me that drives me to be out there. Yep. Um, I don't know if we hate ourselves that much. (laughs) (laughs) Obsessive. I would think that's probably a better way of going, but we're just a little obsessive about it. Um, Yeah. And and, and that's the truth. But uh, uh, the truth of the matter is um, it might sound like uh, the results are really far apart and stuff, but look at my wall, look at your wall. Mm -hmm. Both of our walls are pretty impressive. No, it came from, you know, a lot of sits, but yep. what we're doing is working. It's just, you know, yep. it, it, it is not as easy as what it's, um, what it looks like from the outside. Right. And we try to do a good job of showing that in our videos, you know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of time and effort. I, tr- and, I try to show the failures. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll do a week long hunt where I show every hunt for a week and don't get a deer, you know, but you get to see you know, how it plays out yep. with the plan and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think we're doing a good job of that, but I don't think your average people showing hunting shows are. I think most of them only put shows up where they have, they kill something or they have a unique experience mm-hmm. happen. And it makes people think that that happens every time you go out. Yep. And obviously some people, I mean, they're on premium land. They are going to have right. a lot more opportunities than, right. than we do. I guess during that time I, I shot at a buck and missed and missed it. So I don't know. I guess that counts as success. Um, and I probably saw, well, I saw that buck that I missed twice. So, um, there's, I guess three hunts there and that was 15 days where I had a buck I would have shot. Um, but it didn't happen. That doesn't happen every year either. Like sometimes it gets into November and it's like, I haven't, you know, seen anything I wanted to shoot yet too. So it just depends on the year, how, you know, the area, what's going on and what kind of bucks you got in the area. You know, I can say that, um, I see a direct correlation of my success based on how much scouting I do in the mm-hmm. spring. Mm-hmm. If, um, I don't scout for other people and I go out and I scout for myself and, uh, putting a lot of time doing it, I always see a better fall because I get on fresh stuff from fresh scouting from the year before, you know? Yeah. Okay. Here's one that you could, um, you can talk on Dan, how, how to hunt tag alder swamps. That's his question. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, tag alder swamps can seem endless sometimes, but what you're looking for is you're looking for transitions and edges and uh, areas that'll hold deer. There, there'll be beds everywhere in tag alder swamps, anywhere that's dry enough to hold a bed, right? Mm-hmm. And grasses and stuff. But big bucks don't bed everywhere. They bed, and 
uh, the bases of islands, the points off islands, the points off of ridges, the, the thick transition edges, the, um, where there's an opening, where there's a change in cover, there's a change in vegetation. It's the same stuff that we talk about with every terrain. You know, uh, no mm -hmm. matter what you look at, yep. at, you're looking at edge, you know. So um, it doesn't matter if it's tag alders, it doesn't matter if it's tamaracks, it doesn't matter if it's cattails, you're looking at edge. Okay. Um, this is a this is a question. This guy must be someplace like uh, Michigan, or I, I'm not not sure. Someplace where the deer the deer density is um, high. Um, what would you do if you if you were hunting high deer density density populations uh, with too many does per bucks? Just wondering if you would adjust your tactics at all. Yeah, I'd probably hunt a little earlier and I'd be less sneaky about going into bedding areas. Hmm. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of times you're going to be kicking up deer going into bedding areas and kicking them through the bedding areas. And I find that if you go in um, later in the evenings, that the bucks are laying in their beds um, awake and alert. And if you throw those past them at that point, a lot of times they'll get up and run with them, or they'll be such an edge it's hard to get set up. Um, or, or when they get up, they'll, they'll sneak out the wrong way. Um, but if you get in there early and you kick those past them or those snorts or something, they have a tendency to forget about it. I mean, those will get worked up. I don't know if you've been out in the woods, you know, hunting, you'll every now and then you'll hear those snort off in the distance where there's no people. Yep. You know, what are they doing that for? Well, they're worked up about something, something bothered them whether it's a coyote or a buck or, or whatever, they don't just snort at people. So, I mean, obviously the buck's going to pay attention to that. You know, if a doe's running around or snorting or, or whatever she's doing, he's going to pay attention. But if you give him enough time, he'll forget about it. Now, what I have noticed that a lot of times does will bed just up from the bucks. Mm -hmm. And when you walk into the does, and you try sneaking into your tree, if you sneak up and you get five, 10 yards from these does, they freak. That's when they start storming and stomping and snorting and carrying on. Mm -hmm. But if they see you coming for a while or they hear you, they just get up and move. So a lot of times if I know I'm going to bump does, I'll just come kind of walking in there straight in from a distance where they're going to see me and hear me before I get there and, and trot off. Um, because if you get too close, that's when they freak out. I don't know. It seems to have worked for me. Um, but I think if you think you're going to be bumping deer around, you need to get in there earlier for sure. Get in there while the bucks are lethargic. Um, a lot of the areas I hunt don't have that problem. Yeah. Density so low that I don't have that problem. But I get down into some areas. I want to hunt out of state a lot or certain areas of Wisconsin. Um, I do get that, and uh, that's how I handle it. Yeah, those are good tips. I, I'm like you. I don't. We definitely don't have a high deer density in Indiana here, nor in Kentucky where I hunt a lot. Um, Wisconsin was the about the place I've hunted that had the I've seen the most deer. Uh, I've hunted I've hunted Ohio and Nebraska too. I guess Nebraska had quite a few deer, but um, yeah, that's good.